Every country has its own origin story. Mexico is no different. Just as the United States was born from a war for independence from Great Britain, Mexico, or New Spain as it was called, also fought and won, well, sort of won, its own war for independence from Spain. One of the most remarkable and detailed mural depictions of Mexico's war for independence was painted by Juan O'Gorman from 1960 until 61. It's in the Museum of National History in Castillo de Chapultepec in Mexico City. I would say this mural is covered with a series of symbolisms that go from the creation of the Mexican identity until the implementation of the principles that allow the existence of her country. Fanny remembers first seeing the mural in person as an elementary school student in Mexico on a field trip. My first impression was extremely confusing. There is a lot of people in this mural. Nobody's smiling. There are many different colors of skin. And I remember thinking about this because the, the idea of Jose Partizo Dominguez, who was a main iconic uh, female figure during the Mexican independence, she always appeared as a very serious, not very nice woman. And in fact, she was amazing. She's the woman wearing green, riding a white horse on the right side. That was for me the, the number one confusing aspect of the Mexican history. Nobody looks happy. People are mostly men. Everybody, those who are mestizos or white, are dressed under European outfits. The indigenous people are still carrying their indigenous clothes. Uh, the features are very different. And something that really made me think of what is going on here is this man who is on his knees, who's it's either a uh, virrey, I don't know if it's Iturbide, maybe Iturbide, uh, who is holding the hand of this indigenous man and makes me think of, of Jesus Christ. Back then, I didn't think of how the church played a huge role under the implementation of what the colonialism was. I see Virgin Mary, this woman who is crying for her son, and this man who is being held by the man who is going to save him. And he is on his knees, dark skin. This is Nuevas Voces. I'm Ross Chambliss. In this episode, we're talking about what a couple historic images can tell us about Mexico's war for independence. O'Gorman paints a picture of a new country already struggling with racial, social divisions from the beginning. Injustice, of course. Inequality. Those two main characteristics represent the tyranny of the human creation. At the time, Fanny says the mural shows the early aspirations to create a new country that would treat everyone equally. Juan O'Gorman presents a series of uh, documents. I found this interesting in this mural as we look at it. Um, you can see that important figures in the history uh, presented in this mural are, are holding different documents. If you look closely, you can see men holding pages of manuscripts containing the written ideas for what they thought would be best for governing a new nation of Mexico at the time. O'Gorman also divides his mural into three parts by signifying different colors for the sky overhead. O'Gorman painted the colonial period with a dark, overcast sky. It was the implementation of his religious ideas and political values that eventually 
uh, were created in a country of a corrupted country. Over the middle of the mural, where the fight for independence takes place, the clouds begin to part. And then the sky moves to a blue sky. Do you see that? Uh, and which means is the success of being independent now. I thought it was a very iconic way to to show the evolution of this uh, independence movement. So, what triggered this uprising in New Spain? Let's take a look. For the first three centuries, the main function of New Spain's government, it seems, was to squeeze as much wealth from the country as possible and ship it back to Spain. Mexico really was just providing um, raw materials to Spain, which made it the most powerful economic force, trading force. Wealthy elite Spaniards could enjoy chocolate, colored dyes, and silver and gold exported from Mexico. People in Mexico basically put up with it. It was a very racially divided hierarchical society with Spanish and Spanish-born descendants known as Creolas at the top of the social system. But beginning in 1808, after Napoleon conquered Spain and installed his brother as king, things started to change with the new authority. Spain's military presence was pretty low. They're trying to build that back up and essentially just get, uh, get Spain back into its, its powerful position. Of course, that's not going to sit well with the elites in the Americas because they're trying to make you know, a name for themselves. They're trying to establish themselves. The colonies are pretty self-sufficient at this point. I mean, they, they've been there for generations now, and that connection to Spain isn't so strong anymore. It, interestingly, it was not a peasant revolt. It wasn't the indigenous people or the, the poorest of the poor, the people at the low levels of that caste system that caused, that, that sparked the independence. It was the more privileged people, like Father Hidalgo, who enjoyed these privileges, they're the ones who began the effort towards independence. In this clip from the documentary, The Cry of Independence, Father Hidalgo is shown bravely leading a crowd of machete-wielding Mexicans into revolt. He celebrated as the slightly bald, long, white-haired, revolutionary leader of Mexico's fight for independence. Father Hidalgo, Miguel Hidalgo y Costilla, he was university trained. He was um, a priest. He was a priest who questioned the virgin birth. <laughs> he got in trouble a little with the church um, because of his um, ideas. And he was also very much influenced by the Enlightenment. So he read banned books, which included those of Thomas Jefferson and Jean-Jacques Rousseau. He had these Enlightenment ideas that centered on reason as the primary source of authority and legitimacy rather than the church. And he came to believe in ideas such as liberty, progress, and tolerance. So these are he took, in fact, the, the independence movement from Spain took from the U.S. phrases such as all men are created equal and unalienable rights. So very much influenced by what was going on in the U.S. or what had happened in the U.S. Juan O'Gorman's mural of the revolution portrays many prominent figures from the period. You see Hidalgo carrying a banner of the Lady of Guadalupe very prominently. She became a unifying image for the indigenous peoples. 
Here's Fanny. You see Virgin of Guadalupe being carried by Hidalgo. You see the indigenous people being punished in their own land. And you see main figures uh, such as Hidalgo, uh, Morelos, uh, Iturbide, Leona Vicario. I, I always like to look in terms of uh, how many women are in these paintings. <laughs> and we see uh, Jose Fortes de Dominguez, and we see an indigenous woman on the left side, uh, the flags, man, many different flags that represented. Uh, you see there the flag of uh, 1492 when Americas was discovered. This mural moves the viewer's eyes to the right. And one of the last images we see is a group of men sitting in a half circle, again holding up what appears to be important documents. The man standing before them is revolutionary leader Jose Maria Morelos. Morelos would assume power in the struggle for an independent Mexico after Hidalgo was captured and executed. It's probably finally the creation of the Declaration of Independence, uh, forming a constitution that belongs to Mexico, the documents that made what the new country was, Mexico. The last figure sitting on a horse at the end of the mural is Iturbide, gearing up for a fight with Guerrero, which, by the way, leads us to our next painting to discuss briefly. The Abrazo de Acatampan, painted by Roman Sagredo in 1870, shows a meeting between two men, Agustin de Utrebide and Vicente Guerrero, that happened in February 1821. The lighter-skinned Itrobide on the left was the head of New Spain's royalist army. Guerrero, the darker-skinned man on the right, with his arms held out on both sides, was the leader of the insurgent troops fighting for independence. Itrobide had been a fierce and sometimes very cruel fighter against civilians and the insurgent rebels, and his mission had been to find and destroy Guerrero, the man now standing before him with his arms outstretched. He wanted to destroy the insurgent forces uh, that Guerrero, Vicente Guerrero, represented, but he didn't. He was not able to do it. Guerrero, um, he knew his territory very well, which is the south region of Mexico. He knew how to ride uh, those regions among the mountains. He would hide, and Iturbide was just not able to catch him. So it, it is believed that Iturbide sent a letter to Guerrero saying, let's talk. <laughs> After 11 years of war, both sides were looking for some resolution. The story is that Iturbide asked Guerrero to finally surrender and receive a full pardon. Guerrero rejected that pardon offer, but he agreed to meet with Iturbide to discuss the independence of Mexico. This painting symbolically captures the moment in February 1821 that uh, Iturbide, the military leader who had been fighting for Spanish interests, decides to switch sides, realizing that the better cause was standing up for the revolutionaries and the liberation of Mexico. This was a moment historians say was critical for Mexico's fight for independence. Itrobide and Guerrero's meeting was known as the Embrace of Acatapan, named after the place where they agreed to discuss their plan for peace. Seeing some of these abrazos, these embraces before in the art, mm -hmm. one with Cortez and Malinche, and then um, the other one with the Spanish conquerors and the Aztec okay, warrior. So when I see an, a painting called Abrazo, I'm always a little skeptical. <laughs> thinking, what's, is this going to be a happy union or an unhappy union? And when we see the power coming together with the, the weak or the, the people, the insurgents, you just wonder what the outcome is going to be. 
And then especially when the, the indigenous person is standing like Christ on a cross in this Catholic country. She's talking about Guerrero with his arms outstretched. This almost reminds me of like a borderline pat now. <laughs> right? <laughs> like you have, you have the Spanish soldier kind of like, hey, let me make sure you got nothing on you before we have this chat because we're here to work together, but I don't trust you. It that, does kind of look like arms up, of. hands up, out of your pockets. It does, it does doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it could also look like a very, you know, passionate, emotional discussion, right? I mean, I, I tend to talk with my hands, so that could very much be what Guerrero's doing right there. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, hands kind of going up. Um, I, I also like the way the artist kind of represented each person. Um, Guerrero's very much mestizo, even the way he's dressed is a little more vaquero, I would say versus Irturbe, who's very much Spanish and colonial. Um, and then also, Guerrero is, is, is brown, hair is dark. Uh, Irturbe is, is lighter skin, it looks like lighter brown and blonde hair. So like the artist really, I guess, depicted most likely what it was, because sometimes we do tend to see artists kind of alter things, and so I really like that aspect of this, of this painting. Itrobide and Guerrero were negotiating the so-called Plan of Iguala. It was a three-point plan to unite a coalition of divided political interests, the Mexican liberal insurgents, the nobility, and the Catholic Church. Mexico would be free from Spain, the Church would be the only accepted religion in the new country, and all inhabitants of Mexico were to be promised equality, meaning the complicated caste system that divided Spaniards, Creolas, Mestizos, and permitted slavery was supposed to be abolished. The result of this also was the three-colored flag of Mexico, with red for the blood of heroes, white for purity in the Catholic faith, and green for hope. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, this abrazo may not have turned out all that well either, because um, Iturbide becomes emperor. Right, and he was highly criticized later. This was not the end of fighting and violence for political power in Mexico. Far from it. You look at all the events that took place after the independence, it was war after war, and the Mexicans are always looking for something that makes them think, feel happy and in peace in their own country. And the idea is that Mexican independence and everybody who participated in the process of, of, of getting independence were the Creoles, yes, but they didn't represent indigenous people. They represented the people who wanted to become independent from Spain, but with the same ideology of Spain. And that, I think, tells a lot about the history of Mexico in terms of what has been achieved in the last 200 years. Ultimately, the struggle was then, and still now, about control of resources. And as for that quaint notion about abolishing the Spanish social class system... The indigenous people always were seen, or have been seen, as this second-class group of people who are there to be farmers, to be producers, but not to have the same opportunities as the ones that control the power. And this launched a period that was very tumultuous. Um, when we teach this period, we're always, oh my gosh, we're going to have to talk about 31 presidents and two monarchs, two constitutions over a 55-year period. Many people, well, when I talk to kids, I say, if you want to go back in history, 
You don't want to be a ruler of Mexico during this time. You're likely to have been executed. Seven heroes of the revolution or of the independence movement were executed. So this is not uncommon when a country gets be, becomes independent. It's often um, the case that there's a lot of um, turmoil in establishing itself. Juan O'Gorman's mural, The Cry of Independence, can be seen in El Castillo de Chapultepec in Mexico City. El Abrazo de Aquetempan by Roman Sagredo is in the National Museum of History. You can see images of both of these works at the website and home for this podcast, artismexut.org. Thanks to Luis Lopez for his Chicano perspective. Thanks to Fanny Blauer for her Mexicana perspective. Thanks to Susan Vogel for her enlightened perspective as a scholar of Mexican art. And as for me, Ross Chambliss, I'm just learning about all of this for the first time, and it is reshaping how I think and feel about the country south of the border. Music you heard in this episode comes from Alayas Torres, Gustavo Santo Alaya, Antonio Pinto, Philip Glass, Elliot Goldenthal, and Jorge Samfir. This podcast is made possible by a grant from Utah Humanities. Thanks to KCPW for the studio space. This is Nuevas Fosis.